Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking into wide open. Touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson. And it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore. The 20, the 10, the 5. Touchdown! Jones is just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is time for part two of our discussion on the Jets draft with George Tarori of Pro Football Focus Forecast Podcast, who, of course, had a bit of a controversial view on what the Jets did in the draft. And yesterday we talked about Jermaine Johnson, the process of trading up, the value of trading up, whether or not what the Jets did made sense from a process and value standpoint. Today, we're going to continue that conversation, but we're going to discuss Brees Hall, the Jets pick in the second round, the running back out of Iowa State. What's interesting to me about Brees Hall is, You said before, maybe the Jets overvalued Jermaine Johnson and all that. There's no denying that the Jets got Brees Hall exactly where they had to get him because we know that the Houston Texans were going to take him with the very next pick. And historically, you are correct. You can get running backs later parts of the draft. But I think, again, this is where you have to take the Jets' circumstances into account. And I should say, by the way, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry, Javante Williams, these are all guys that recently were picked in the second round. Dalvin Cook as well. So these are all highly valued players because they can do more than just run the ball as well. But I think with the Jets, the Shanahan system is something that requires the type of runner that Brees Hall is. And they wanted a guy that's a big, giant guy that can do it and really 
take a lot of the pressure off of Zach Wilson. Your colleague Sam Monson talked about this, how even though you could look at the historical trends, a lot of these Shanahan offenses are getting guys like Brees Hall, and they're doing it for a reason. The Rams, the Titans, the Browns, the Vikings all being prime examples of this. With Brees Hall, I think the real value here is, and I had talked about this before the draft, I wasn't necessarily anticipating the Jets drafting him as high as they did. I thought they might slide back a little bit, get a running back, but clearly if they wanted Brees Hall, they were going to have to get him here. The difference between him and, say, a guy like Kenneth Walker, who I like a lot too, is that Walker is a guy that you can put the ball in his hands out of the backfield with a short flip, but he's not a guy that's going to run routes and be effective in the passing game the way that Brees Hall can. Brees Hall can run routes and be almost like a de facto receiver the way that a guy like Le'Veon Bell was. Also, Brees Hall, a much better pass blocker. Kenneth Walker, not much of a pass protector. And so when you look at what that scheme calls for, very important. Plus, they had built up that offensive line. You've talked about how the Jets have a ton of holes, but I think between what they did in the offseason of free agency and earlier in the draft before picking Jermaine Johnson and certainly before picking Brees Hall, they really filled a lot of those holes, a lot of those needs. And I think when you look at Brees Hall, you say he's a guy that plugs in perfectly behind that offensive line. You've got Michael Carter, who's more of a change of pace guy, a smaller guy. He was banged up a lot last year, runs a physical style. And if you give him the bulk of the carries, he's going to be somebody that is clearly going to wear down. Brees Hall, much more built for this. He can touch the ball 20 times a game. You look at what Seattle did when Russell Wilson first came in the league. They had Marshawn Lynch. He touched the ball 20 times a game. Wilson only had to throw it 25 times a game. Took a lot of the pressure off of him. He was able to manage the game, develop, and eventually become one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Similar thing with Dak Prescott, although I'm sure we both agree that Ezekiel Elliott was way overdrafted. I'm in no way advocating for drafting a running back in the top 10, but this was in the top 10. This was the second round. As I said, sort of a sweet spot for some of the elite backs here. And I think when you look at what Brees Hall could bring to the offense, what he could do for Zach Wilson, also play action is big in that offense. And having a guy like Brees Hall can really open up the play action for somebody like Zach Wilson. We can both agree, George. I think there's no question about it. The Jets' success, regardless of the players that they have selected around Zach Wilson, really hinges on whether or not Zach Wilson becomes good. Because if Zach Wilson is good and these other players develop, the Jets can be a pretty good team for the next bunch of years. If Zach Wilson isn't good, they've got to go back to the drawing board. So they had to do everything they could to surround him here. They signed Lake and Tomlinson in the offseason, plugged up the offensive line. So now they have five guys on the offensive line who should be average to above average starters. First time in a really long time. They have Elijah Moore, who really broke out last year and seems poised for a big season. Corey Davis, solid receiver. Brought back Braxton Berrios, and then they get Garrett Wilson, who we talked about going number 10. So they really solidified the receiving core. They went and they got Tyler Conklin and C.J. Ozama at tight end. They even went and got Ruckert later, too, so they really built up the tight ends. That bell cow running back, that feature back, the guy that can do it all, was a player that I think if you plug him in as a piece on his own, Without all the other supporting pieces, it doesn't necessarily make sense. But when you factor in the Jets situation and the desperate need to elevate Zach Wilson in the ways that I mentioned before, I think it starts to make a lot of sense. And again, they gave up a fifth round pick. I understand you're going to say that's a bad process because you could get running backs anywhere in the draft. And also you historically may lose the trade because of the value of giving up the fifth round pick. 
But I think ultimately you have to look at this as a situation individually with the Jets. And Brees Hall is a guy that they believe and many believe can be an elite running back. So the price of getting him or not getting him and getting, say, Kenneth Walker, who doesn't do a lot of the things that Brees Hall does at an elite level that I talked about in the passing game, that to them was worth a fifth round pick. And again, I don't think this is poor process because we talked about the hit rate with fifth round picks. And if you feel that there's a difference between getting that elite player that does all of the things that you need and somebody else who's good but can't do all those things that you need at an elite level or certainly waiting till the fourth or fifth round where you're going to likely get a guy who's nowhere near as good, I think it's good process to know that the team in front of you is going to take that guy you want and then not pay that high of a price to go up ahead of them and get that player. So that's where I'm coming from. I'm sure you're going to say that a lot of this has to do with historical trends and the value of running backs, and I totally get that. I know that it's a passing league and that running backs are not as valuable, but for all the reasons I just mentioned and the fact that Brees Hall is actually exceptionally good in the passing game, not just catching the football out of the backfield, but running legitimately good routes like wide receiver quality routes, I think that it made total sense for the Jets. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Yeah, so let me be clear. The process that I disagree with most, and by the way, it's ironic to use the Houston Texans taking a running back and wanting to get in front of them to take that running back as an example because I think the, <laughs> I probably wouldn't try to, to outthink the, the Texans in this situation. For sure, but George, the only point I'm making they want is to draft. They, yeah, for sure, George, but the only point yeah, I'm making I get, is I get that if saying. they wanted him, saying. they I'm, had to jump the Texans. Yes, I understand that. I understand that. The the process that's bad here is just taking uh, a running back in this situation. You mentioned 
Um, I, I'm not saying they should have taken Kenneth Walker. I would not have taken Kenneth Walker here either. Um, and you mentioned the receiving side of things. Running backs that can catch the ball in the backfield are everywhere. Um, the you know you mentioned a list of, of running backs that have been taken in the second round who are all amazing running backs. And guess what? None of them are doing anything for the, with the, from a team perspective because of the value of doing that in the NFL. To boot, it's also a huge offensive line thing. The value it actually, like running the football is largely a function of can you block all of the, the key you know, places that you need to block, right? We call them perfectly blocked runs. And there are many, many running backs that when you know, the running game, uh, the run blocking is good, they're going to, to look really good. And what they make up for with skill, you know, so if you see a running back uh, force a missed tackle and it's like, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and gains an extra two yards. That is one of the most physically impressive things that you will see. But from a football perspective, in terms of what it does for your team, it's just not that it's just not, not that big of a gain. Right. And I'll bring up a good example of this. The Bengals biggest issue this year on offense was that they ran the ball too much. And I actually think a big reason of that is that they have invested so much in Joe Mixon and he's a good player. He's a really good player. Do not get me wrong. It's the desire to, to see that good player do cool athletic things that are actually not making as much of a boost for your team as, you know, dropping Joe Burrow back to pass, for example, and, and executing the passing game. So th th that's something that needs to be made clear here. The fifth round pick, it, this, you know, what they gave up to move up two spots here compared to the Jermaine Johnson one is insignificant. It's not a, it's not a big thing here. The bigger issue is for a team. And you mentioned Zach Wilson that, you know, has so many needs. And if you don't think they have so many needs, then you should go bet their, you know, division odds or, you know, go bet them to win over nine games. You don't need to argue with me, go bet it. Um, taking a running back in this situation where you, you can see throughout the league, I mean, throughout the league, where are running backs carrying their teams to victory in any situation? Unfortunately, it's just not, it's not happening. And you mentioned the Niners. And I think the Niners are, that was actually the team I was planning to bring up. Who have the Niners running backs been over the past few years and where have they been drafted? That's the whole point of the run scheme. The run scheme is great. It's awesome. The Shanahan system, it's been doing this before Kyle's there. Mike Shanahan's been doing it. You do not need a running back at a premium position. And by the way, Reesaw is an interesting fit there because speed, he's not the fastest guy. He's elusive. He can catch the ball in the backfield. They get all those things. But generally, the Niners have been successful with guys like Raheem Mostert, you know, Eli Mitchell. Like, you know, there, there are players that the Niners, <laughs> the Niners are a perfect example. They drafted Trey Sermon way too high last year. Go, everyone should go look up Trey Sermon stats. Because Trey Sermon, people were so excited. I, I placed a bet on Trey Sermon to win Rookie of the Year last year. Why? Because I thought that the system was going—he was going—they were going to give him the ball because they drafted him so highly, and he was going to do well. And guess what? The guy they drafted like three rounds later, or whatever it was, or I forget—was he even at UDFA? Um, uh, was the guy that they ended up handing the ball to? So you know, I, I actually think that's really uh, useful for people to look at. You can really like a player, man. And I understand exactly where you're coming from with like, hey, he was the number one guy on a lot of people's boards at running back. And how cool would that be? And if everything clicks, this will be awesome. But I'll point you to, man, it's unfortunately like 
you do need to take into account how this helps teams overall. And I'll go one more example that I'll give you is um, a couple of years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs just needed Clyde Edwards-Lair. That was what they needed, you know, and they already had a pretty strong team in other places. And it's just not a big deal, right? Like they're really talented, productive running backs that can be a function of a good system up and down. And how much that actually helps a quarterback is massively overvalued. The running game being good is a function of the run blocking, the scheme. And by the way, when you talk about play action, another thing that is borne out in the math over and over and over again is that you know your ability to run the football, which is first off based on your run blocking more than anything else, actually isn't the factor in play action, right? The way that the play action is schemed um, is, is something that works. It works at the beginning of the game before you've established the run. It works after whether you've established the run or not. Um, that, that continues to be borne out mathematically. And what I would ask for people that are you know, going to say, oh, well, what about Jonathan Taylor? What about you know, Dalvin Cook? What about all these guys? I would say, okay, go take that into account, but go take into account every other player that's been drafted too and come back to me with what the data shows there. Because at the end of the day, we're all talking about the same thing, which is, does this matter? And in order to say this matters, you can't select only the players that have worked out. You can't, you can't take that small of a, a slice. You have to consider everything. And, you know, that's, that's why, um, you know, that's why people that are um, doing this for a living in the stock market, for example, you know, they're, they're not, you don't see people winning in those situations by just going with their gut, you know, in, in face of the math all the time. It's about leveraging the math to make the best decisions in those circumstances that you know are plus EV. There's still gut involved. I'm not trying to get rid of that. I'm not trying to get rid of evaluation. I'm not trying to get rid of all the things that you need in order to pick, you know, as best the player that you can in those positions. But you got to be realistic and you got to have a model for how you get from, hey, this is the right process or this is the wrong process. And a lot of the times people use a model that is based on opinion where they have kind of formed this and said, oh, you know, this is what I, this is how it feels. The problem is people are really bad at feeling at the right probability that there's books that are written on this all over the place that have won, you know, been bestsellers. You should go, Daniel Kahneman has a really, really good one. And it's all about how people's perception of odds and probability are, are terrible. They're just bad. And so I would caution people against that because it's, um, it's a dangerous way to live your life. Now, in this situation, is it a dangerous thing to do? Is it a huge error? Is it the reason that they could potentially not be a great team? It probably, there's a, there's a decent chance it won't be. And the reason because for that is that it all hinges on Zach Wilson anyways, to your point. But I would take every opportunity, Scott, with a Zach Wilson to p- select players that have the biggest chance of helping him succeed. And in the NFL, as we've seen time and time again, taking everything into account, the running back isn't having a big enough impact over basically every other position on the offense. So that, that's my that's my point there. And again, the orders of magnitude relative to those number four, number 10 picks are really small. It, you know, it's not it's not the biggest order of magnitude deal here. But my point simply was, if you look at that process, selecting a running back, trading up, uh, you know, a decent amount to select um, Jermaine Johnson, those things were below average. I didn't say they were like the worst things in the world. I didn't say it's going to cost them being a successful team every single time you look at, at what they've done. But 
you you have to face facts in terms of GMs have done this before. They've thought through this the same way before. They've said this running back is special before, and it has not worked out for them over the course of time. You can't just look at the ones that you view as successful and then say, we're going to be that way. You have to be honest with yourself and accept that, you know, many, many smart people have tried to do this before and it has failed. Sure. But as you said, you've got to be able to trust your board. You've got to be able to trust the people that are on your staff. You've got to understand what it is you need and the circumstance and the system. But also the other thing here is you got to understand the consensus. And you argued before that maybe the consensus was that Jermaine Johnson was rated lower than most people expected. In this case, I think Brees Hall clearly was rated right around where the Jets got him because another team was gearing up to take him. And so yep. what this ultimately comes down to is if you believe Brees Hall can be one of those running backs that I just mentioned who went in the second round and you think that he can be that big play guy, he can run off some big plays, he can chew up clock and keep the opposing defense off of the field, he can help Zach Wilson develop because now you can lean on him both in the passing game and to carry the ball. If you think that he can help in pass protection, all these things, and you think he's an ideal fit in your scheme, then to me it makes perfect sense to take him. And as you agreed, the fifth round pick is inconsequential, so that's not the bad part of the process. I think where we're going to yep. disagree here is that you just would never take a running back that high. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of this comes back to with Jermaine Johnson too. You just don't really value trade-ups when it's not a quarterback. So I think that's really where the bone of contention comes because I think in the Jets' particular situation, it made a lot of sense. As I said, in the offseason, they went and made a lot of additions. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you they're a Super Bowl contender, clearly, but they're building something. We know that on the interior defensive line, they've got some pretty good players, Quentin Williams, Sheldon Rankins, John Franklin Myers. They have Carl Lawson coming back at edge rusher. They drafted Jermaine Johnson. They've got some pretty good rotational pieces back there too. They signed Jacob Martin. They brought in Solomon Thomas. They've got Bryce Huff. That's some pretty solid depth. In the secondary, they went out and got Jordan Whitehead. They got DJ Reed. They drafted Sauce Gardner. So they've got legitimate starters at these positions. CJ Mosley. You take a look at the offensive line. Again, all five guys on paper are average to above average starters. Two tight ends that are average to maybe slightly above average. I'd say probably closer to average. They're not going to move the needle but they're at least functional tight ends You've got a receiving core now By adding Garrett Wilson With Elijah Moore, with Braxton Berrios, with Corey Davis That's solid I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's an elite receiving core But it's solid So you look at that and you say Okay, where can we plug in these pieces? Where can we get elite talent to help the offense? To help Zach Wilson? And I think Brees Hall makes a lot of sense For the exact reasons that I brought up And I know again the point of contention here And this is where we're never going to agree Is that you're looking at the history historical trends and you're looking at the expected value and stuff like that but I'm looking at this taking that into account but also considering exactly what the Jets situation is what their needs are and where they value these players and what they gave up because as you said with Brees Hall what they gave up insignificant I don't think it's that big of a deal what they gave up for Jermaine Johnson anyway considering that I think he separated himself from those other two edge rushers in a couple of key areas that the Jets are going to need but I wanted to bring this up to you, George, because a lot of people made hay out of this. One of the players that you suggested the Jets should have taken instead of Brees Hall was Malik Willis. You were just being glib, right? Yeah, a little bit. And okay. and the point, <laughs> look, the you know, just to just to answer your point, like the difference in our we are both using a model to make our argument. 
your model is valuing your ability to, to, to pick a player that has a higher chance of success than historically it has been. You just said, look, if Brees Hall can be all these things, he can be. Now, the challenge there is even if he is, it's not that big of an addition to your offense as we've seen throughout the NFL. The other problem is that for running backs, all of those things that you just mentioned, there are a lot of players that can also do that. Maybe it's a slightly lower rate of it happening down the draft. And that's what I'm talking about is the value over the replacement player. And you are valuing that. You're saying, your model is saying, because of the context that I'm taking into account, the chances of that happening and the chances of it being valued on my team are higher than what history would say. My point is the same teams that have done this in the past had the same exact thoughts. And so when we look at, when I use my model and I look at that from a very, you know, it's a mathematical standpoint, what did they value? And I have a, we have a model for mapping that out. What is the value this player has given a team based on how they played on the field? And I would say, look, I would encourage everyone out there to do that. Even if you're writing, Scott, I, I you have a tremendous um, uh, football knowledge. I would encourage you even just to like ballpark it and like write down, you know, what do I think the value of an average running back selected at 38 will be for a team over one that is selected in the third or fourth or fifth I, round? I totally and, understand and I what look. you're saying, George, and I'm not trying to cut yep. you off here, but I think this is where the individual player and the human element has to come into this but, because historical yeah, I, trends I agree you, Scott, absolutely but that, matter. That. But when you're talking about a specific player, that has to be something that gets taken into account because if Brees Hall is a guy that is a special player, or at least that's what people value him as, yes, it is a subjective judgment, but if we're not going to be making some kind of subjective judgments, then at some point we might as well just have computers picking these guys, no? I got to be honest, there are a lot of very, very rich people that let computers make decisions for them and they're on a yacht somewhere, you know, <laughs> like, so I, I don't, I don't want to take the, I don't want to take the fun and joy out of things. Like this is fun. I, I get it. Like, would I be better off? I'll give you an example. Would I be better off in my fantasy league having a computer draft for me and using like the smartest AI that I could? Yeah. But that's not the point. I love the draft. I love it. So I'm doing it myself. Am I making bad picks? Absolutely. Right. And the difference is that I'm not being paid <laughs> to do my fantasy draft. Right. I remember that it's the day it is like the day that it happens. I scramble to get as much information as I can so that I'm set up you know, for when the draft happens and I rock into it. This, this is different because this is a billion dollar industry. Right. And the other billion dollar industries that are out there like this is this is the reference point that I use a lot. Scott is like if I went. So let's say I had a um, million dollars. Okay. And you're like, where should I invest this million dollars? And you have different people who are vying for the ability to manage your money and make investments. Okay. The money here is like the draft picks. Okay. And one of them says, you're like, what's your strategy? And one of them goes, hey, my strategy is um, I, I do the evaluation myself. I go with my gut and I, I, you know, I just trust myself. And I go, okay, do you have any, you know, what's your historical um, hit rate there? And, you know, what, what is your ROI over time? Or like, you know, are you beating the S&P 500? And they go, yeah, I don't actually look at that. I just look at the, the hits that we've had. Here are the hits that we've had. Okay. I say, okay, thank you. On to the next one. The next one goes, yeah, I actually have this team of, of uh, engineers and quants and they build a model and I, I blindly trust the model and we evaluate the success of the model overall over the course of, of history. And we make 
you know, changes to it. We learn our, the machine learning models learn over time and improve. And I go, okay, what's your ROI? And they give me a number. Maybe it's a small number, right? Maybe the percentage, you know, the guy, the, the first guy mentioned all these wins that had, yeah, this made 400%, but he didn't give me the whole picture. The next guy goes, yeah, you know, over the course of time, we're making, you know, 6% every year. The question is, the answer is easy. I'm giving the money to guy number two, right? And the reason for that is that he's taken all things into account. He's looking at, at how it's performing over the course of time. And obviously I want to do my due diligence that his math is correct and all the things he's citing are correct, but at least he's got something there. And that's really the important thing. And I don't want, I don't want people to be like, oh yeah, George is advocating for like humans losing their jobs to computers. It's <laughs> not what I'm saying at all. But like, I think the most powerful thing that you can do in business right now, and we're thinking about this, this is actually my, my real job at PFF is to, is to think about the product that we're, we're giving people. And one of the things that we're really thinking about is we have done all of our charting with humans. We're, we're very much an evaluation uh, company, right? We, we have people that we make, sh- we insist have expert knowledge in football watching every player and every play in every game and then checking that with teams, right? There's a reason all 32 NFL teams use our stuff every draft. And you, the Bills had us up there. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the Jets, uh, they're a client. Obviously, all 32 NFL teams are. Um, we One of the best things that you can do in business is leverage what math and technology can do for you and merge it with what humans can do. Often, people are trying to do it one way or the other. All, all human, all gut, all that, or all math and take all the humans out of it. You can actually make math is good. It's is good regardless. It's better when you can give it information that is as objectively collected as possible with humans. And so that's what we're trying to do at PFF, honestly, is like to, to increase um, the, the veracity of our product, right? To get better at grading players, to get better at evaluating them. And ultimately the way we judge that is not off of you know gut or the or the big wins. It's about looking at how it performs historically. And to your point, it's not just about the average outcome. It matters whether you're taking players that have a a a, um, a chance if they're good of really impacting your team. And this is where I'll get back to the Malik Willis thing. I was being joking a little bit, but here's the thing: you know the players, the only player in the football field that has a chance if they hit of really making a difference of taking you from a four win team to a 10 win team. Historically, the only one that has that, you know, that hit rate that really matters is a quarterback. And so it's, it's challenging because people always go, well, if you bring in another quarterback, like what will that do to Zach Wilson's confidence? And, you know, I, I was making a joke about that with the commanders, like how dare they draft a quarterback high enough to get, you know, in the way of Carson Wentz's confidence, because clearly like, you know, that's the issue, right? It has nothing to do with the fact that he's not been a very good quarterback. And, you know, the, the point I always bring up there is like, I think they're going to face more pressure ultimately in a playoff game than they will with like a, you know, a court, young quarterback that's drafted who they can't beat out. And if they can't beat him out, that means you want the other guy in there. Um, so I was being, a, I was being a little tongue in cheek there, but you have to take shots. You do have to take shots. And I'll say this, you know, thinking about the jets long-term, I really liked Zach Wilson. We really liked Zach Wilson coming out last year. Um, I think he's fun to watch and could be really, really good. But to your point earlier, the Brees Hall pick, no matter what you think about him, it's not going in the grand scheme of things. If Zach Wilson is really good, Brees Hall will look really good. And if Zach Wilson is really bad, let me tell you what, it's not going to matter uh, if Brees Hall uh, is great because the way that defenses will play them 
will mean that he's um, that he's not going to look very good statistically. So, um, look, I, I, this has been a really fun conversation. I really appreciate you bringing your points in a passionate but you know respectful way. Like this is how football conversations, in my opinion, should go. And, I, and I'll say this to every person out there that you know is on um, social media and whatever. The passion is cool, man, and I never want to see that passion go away. And um, I think it's good that, you know, we can look at that and understand that it really is just passion at the end of the day and not take it personally, because, you know, that that is really important. I think people get hurt a lot by, you know, words and stuff out there. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I feel comfortable making these comments is that I'm not worried about the the comments that come back. I enjoy them and it gives me opportunities to to talk to people like you and have cool conversations like this. And that's that's to me what really matters here. No, I agree. And I will just say this. I think where our major disagreement comes in is that you don't value running backs at all to the point where you just would never (laughs) take one high. You'd even take a quarterback who went an entire round later as a hedge against a quarterback who had a bad rookie year before he would take a running back in the second round, which to me is crazy. But I understand the thought process there. Completely disagree with it, but I get what you're saying. I just think you're much better off using that pick on a player that can help the quarterback who struggled last year rather than on a player who, if that quarterback develops in the way that you expect him to, will never actually see the field or become relevant. And again, this comes back to trusting your evaluations, trusting your coaching staff, and having faith in your own internal process. Because if you believe in Zach Wilson, then you want to surround him with as much talent as you can and use your assets to surround him with as much talent as you can, rather than taking a historical and statistical hedge against his potential failure after one year. So it's obvious that you place a very low value on the running back position. And I understand that in a general sense, but for the reasons that I explained, I think that Brees Hall makes a lot of sense specifically. And I'd point to a player like, say, Jonathan Taylor as a guy who made plenty of sense for the Colts at the time, and I'm sure they don't regret trading up for him either. And I think this is where we get into the major disagreement in general philosophy because you're looking specifically at the historical trends and things like that, whereas I'm looking at that as part of it, but I'm also looking at the individual players, and I understand your point that, okay, well, historically, are you going to beat the house, or are you smarter than the other teams? But ultimately, you have to believe that you're smarter than the other teams and have confidence in your ability to make these selections. Otherwise, as we said, you may as well just let the computer do it for you. Maybe that would have better results, and I'll be honest with you, George, especially during the Mike McCagnan era, there were many years where we probably would have preferred if the computer was doing the draft picks, if it had been on auto draft, would have been much better results. But I think if you have a general manager and a coaching staff that believe in themselves, that have a specific game plan, that have these players that they value in a certain way, that know exactly how they want to use these guys. And as I said, different scheme fits and things like that. And I brought up the points about Brees Hall, and I totally understand what you're saying about running backs generally, but I do think that Brees Hall being really, really good, particularly in the passing game, would help Zach Wilson's development a lot because it would take a lot of pressure off of him to have a cowboy mentality, which is what burned him a lot early in the season last year. So we'll say this. You and I fundamentally disagree, but I think, as you said, we share a passion for football, and we may be coming at this from different places, but I think ultimately we see things the same way in terms of loving the passion 
of football, loving the fact that we can have these kinds of conversations. And I really enjoyed having you on. I know a lot of people were DMing me and texting me and saying, you got to smash George. You got to smash George. That was never my intention. I wanted you to be able to talk about how you feel and exactly why you think the way that you do. And I think you explained it well. I don't agree with what you were saying. I think you made some valid points. I don't agree with the overall premise. But I think you made some valid points, and I think that if you merge what I was saying with what you were saying, that's where I would come down in the end, and we'll let people make their own decision in terms of what they think. But George, I really want to thank you for coming on and taking all this time out to be on the show and discuss all of this. I really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back soon. Don't be a stranger. I would encourage people to listen to you and Eric because... As I said, and I meant this genuinely, I really do like listening to you guys. I think you do a great job on the PFF forecast. So for those that want to follow you on social media, and please be cordial, be cordial. Or not. I enjoy it either way. Okay. I enjoy All it either right. way. Or insult George or something, whatever it is that go. makes you feel good. Apparently, George doesn't mind it. So go ahead and tell everybody where they can follow you on social media and how they can check out what you're doing and in general, what's going on at PFF. Yeah, you can you, you can follow me if, if you want. It's uh, PFF underscore George. And uh, I love I love it either way. To, to your point, like I had some people, you know, I read some DMs on the forecast and, you know, they read the funny ones and the mean ones. But there is a whole, you know, definitely check out all the perspectives, right? Because my opinion here and the model that I'm using is I'm not the only person doing this. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that are, you know, I get this many DMs are like, thank you. You know, this is great. And, and all those things and check out all opinions because one of the best things about football is it's, it's a lot. We know a lot more today than we knew five years ago. And if you want to enjoy the game more, I encourage you know people to check that out. And at PFF, PFF.com, look, my, my job is not to create content. Um, there are some really great content creators out there that are doing some really cool stuff and evaluating the game from all perspectives on PFF.com. So check that out and engage, you know, come on, come on Twitter, ask questions. Um, I think you've got a better chance at, at engaging and having a good conversation like this. If you act like Scott and, you know, come at it from a passionate, but also conversational way. Um, so I encourage people to do that. I appreciate you having me on Scott. Um, I appreciate everyone out there that, uh, that is a Jets fan that's listening to this. And I'll say this, um, I've got a lot of money on the Jets over this year. So, uh, I, I, you know, if they, if they hit six wins, I've got a, a bunch of money on it at five and a half. Um, I'm putting all that money and I'm, uh, I'm donating it to uh, the charity of your choice. So you let me know what that is. Um, this way we can both root for the jets and hope Zach Wilson uh, turns out well. And if Brees Hall is the guy that maybe makes that game winning touchdown in uh, week 17 or 18 and, and makes that happen, then uh, you'll feel really good about it too. So you let me know what that is um, when you decide and uh, we'll be rooting for the jets this year, man. But uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we talk again soon. Absolutely. And I guess you took the advice that you gave Jets fans. You put some money on it. You said, if you believe in the Jets this year, then put some money on it. If you think that they don't have as many holes as other people do, then put some money on it. And you did. And I really appreciate that gesture. We'll definitely talk about which charity to donate that to. And I really hope not just for the charity's sake, but also for the Jets' sake, that they do hit the over this year and that you wind up donating your winnings to charity. So again, I really appreciate you coming on, George. And I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. For anybody 
anybody that hasn't given us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes, if you can go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in the New York Jets podcast and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.